Francesca Renderos, age 22, was working as a waitress on an ordinary Wednesday night in Houston when she was stunned by an act of grace. At one of the tables sat Doug Brown, a mortgage broker, along with six real estate agents whose business he was trying to attract. And when Francesca came up to the table, Doug asked her, what would be the most special tip you could receive? A pair of shoes, a purse, and she responded flippantly, actually, I need a car. Well, Doug looked at the other, other six at the table. They were real estate agents. He said, if you will give me your business, he said to these, I will give the girl a car. All six agreed. So he turned to Francesca and he said, okay, you get a car. Well, since hardly a day went by in that restaurant without some jokester customer, she just gave a skeptical response. Oh, sure. Are you ready to order now? What can I bring you to drink? She certainly didn't take it too seriously. One hour later, a brand new silver Mitsubishi Lancer pulled up. And Doug Brown placed the keys into her hand. Francesca could hardly contain herself. Is this really happening? What do I do? What do I say? Doug gave her the words. You say, these keys are mine. That's all you say. Well, the first thing she did was call her mother and tell her, I got a car. This is so great. I'm so excited, and it's mine, all mine. That's grace, isn't it? By its very definition, grace is a demonstration of kindness that is unearned, undeserved, and unrepayable. At this time of year, we have again celebrated the wonderful gift God gave to us in Jesus Christ. You and I have been the recipients of his wondrous grace. One of the sweetest reasons for his grace is his fondness of us. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. Because of his love for us, he sends us a sunrise every morning and flowers every spring. Whenever you want to talk to him, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he has chosen to make this earth his home in the earth made new. And the gift he sent to you that arrived in Bethlehem some 2,100 years ago, let's face it, he so loves this world. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates the meaning of grace 
in a concrete way. It helps us understand his grace to us. And it has nothing to do with Christmas per se, although it contains all the elements of the wondrous story of God's favor to those who can't earn it and to those who didn't ask for it. It's not unlike the story of the Mitsubishi, but it pertains to one fortunate beneficiary named Mephibosheth. And we find it nestled in the story of King David. If you have your Bible, you could just hold it open to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at that story in that chapter. 2 Samuel is a place we haven't been to uh, lately. It's not a part of Scripture we visit very often. And yet we find the gospel told on those dusty pages as well. 2 Samuel chapter 9, beginning there at verse 1. Now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, these words were spoken near the beginning of David's rule as king over Israel. He had succeeded King Saul, with whom he had experienced a rather treacherous and dangerous relationship. Notice the word kindness. This is unusual. In those days, whenever there was a regime change, something happened to the members of the old ruling family. There was normally a great purge so that the new king would be unopposed in his rule. And if you read the books of Kings and Chronicles, you will find that to be the case. After Inauguration Day, a lot of blood flowed. David has assumed the throne. Saul was the prior king, but we don't see any evidence of a purge. Instead, David asked, To whom may I show kindness? Now, if you're familiar with the story of David in the Bible, you will recall that David had made a couple of promises that he is now keeping. First of all, he had made a promise to Jonathan, the son of King Saul. Jonathan asked the king-elect for grace whenever he assumed the throne. And David vows that he will remember the oath. We find that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. You may not need to turn. I have the words on the screen. These are the words of David, our, our Jonathan to David. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. 
And you'll recall that David made a similar vow with Saul himself a bit later. Saul asked for the same kind of favor that Jonathan did, and David gave his word that he would spare the house of Saul after he became king. And now these words on the screen are from Saul himself. From 1 Samuel 24, 20 to 22, Saul's words. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. These were promises David had made to Saul and to Jonathan, his son, that he would spare their lives on the day whenever he would become the king. He would spare their families. There would not be a purge. David was a promise keeper. In this day and age when there are so many people who make vows and pledges and commitments and then break them without much consideration. The fact that he would make such a vow and then keep his vow is impressive and striking. This was the character of David, a promise keeper. And so with this background, we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Again in verse 1, David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Notice he asks, is there anyone? He does not ask, is there anyone out there who is worthy? Is there anyone out there who is acceptable? Is there one whom we would agree measures up? No, he says, is there anyone? And that's grace. It's available to all. Grace is not selective. It is not exclusive. Grace has no filter. It embraces anyone. We hear that in the gospel that whosoever believes shall have everlasting life. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever. That's grace. Is there anyone to whom I may show kindness? The story continues, verse 2 and 3. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of 
of God. Notice those words. The kindness of God. Remember that when you are kind, you are showing something about God. There's more testimony about God in an act of kindness than there is in a whole sermon. You know what makes a good witness? Many people say they don't know how to witness. I, I don't know what to do to witness. Here's what makes the best witness. Kindness. When you are kind, you are showing something about God. And you are witnessing. You are revealing something about the Father when you are kind. I agree with the familiar words of Ellen White who applied this thought. We should humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful if so, there would be 100 believers of the truth where now there is only one. Have you heard that before? Do those words sound true? Could it be that kindness has that kind of power? We're looking ahead now into a new year. Everything else being the same, if there is only one thing that we could do that might be an improvement or that we might grow in or that we might focus upon, let it be the practice of kindness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had, at this time next year, 100 new believers who could trace their being here to an act of kindness that you or I did for them? Wouldn't that be great? We could just leave everything else the same. Same music, same building, same pews, same people. But there's a power in kindness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this place was found to be a place where kindness ruled and prevailed and was nurtured and was emphasized? I've heard it said as a mantra. In a world where you can be anything, Be kind. Now this is David. This is David now, the new king. He knows about what we're talking about. He knows about this characteristic of kindness because God dwelled in his heart. He had a, a heart like God's. 
And his first act upon taking over the throne was, to whom can I show kindness for my friend Jonathan's sake? Well, Ziba, a servant of Saul, identifies one. There is one. He's a son of Jonathan. But in Ziba's words, we hear just a word of caution. We hear just a word of counsel. He says in verse 3, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. David, you're looking for someone to bring to the palace. You may want to think twice before you consider this one. Uh, He's not very kingly. He doesn't fit in with all of our pomp and splendor, the majesty of Jerusalem and and government royalty. Uh, Well, this one, this one. He's, he's a cripple. Uh, he hobbles along on crutches. Well, David is not bothered by another's blemish. David is not troubled by another's handicap. Look at his response to Ziba's report, verse 4. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. In answer to the question, where is he? The answer is given. He's out there in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. Do you know where that is? Lodabar. It's a place. The Hebrew expression means no pasture. That's where he is. He's in Lodabar. He's out there in the wilderness. He's out there in the barren fields of Palestine. You see, in the case of a purge, Mephibosheth had placed himself way out there, far, far away, out in the wilderness. He's in hiding. He's as far away from the king as he can get. He's separated from the king's court in an isolated, lonely place known as Lodabar. No pasture. Hiding. In fear. Isolated. Secluded. By the way, how did this young man, this this son of Jonathan, become a cripple? How did it happen? 2 Samuel 4.4 tells us, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So he was handicapped. He was crippled. And he was isolated. He was hiding. At Saul's death, because of fear of purge or arrest, the nurse picked him up and began to run. Together they would flee. But in the hurry and in the panic, he fell. 
And ever since, age five, he was, he was crippled and handicapped in his feet, hiding in Lodabar, the wilderness wasteland of Palestine. The story continues at verse 5. Then King David sent and and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. That's grace. One time, Thomas Jefferson was riding with a group of horsemen. They came to a river that was swollen. And standing at the river, there was a man on foot who needed to get across, but he didn't have a way. One by one, these companions of Thomas Jefferson on their horses went through the river, got up on the other side, And as Thomas Jefferson came by on his horse, the man hailed him. And, uh, you know, can I, can you take me across? Please. So Thomas Jefferson hoisted him up on the horse, and together they went through the river and got up to the other side. On the other side, one of the men said to that, that man, Why did you select the president to ask of him this favor? And the man said, the president? I didn't know he he was the president. All I know is on some of the faces were written the word no. And on some of the faces I saw written the answer yes. He had a yes face, a yes face. So it was with David. When Mephibosheth looked up, he saw in David's face a yes expression. People who understand grace have a yes It reflects benevolence. It it reflects kindness. It exudes mercy. By the way, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? A yes face or a no face? Which is it? Can we all have a yes face? 
How would it feel when visitors come to our church and we all have a yes face? That's the power of kindness. David looked down at Mephibosheth. He said, my friend, do not be afraid. You're going to enjoy something you, you've never dreamed could happen. This palace will be your home. You're going to be my son. Welcome to the royal family. Mephibosheth responds in verse 8. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? You know what? David doesn't even respond. It, it does no good to argue with grace or question what it is doing. It does no good to say, but, but I'm handicapped, but, but I'm crippled, but I'm unworthy. You know, grace doesn't even acknowledge Grace doesn't even respond to those objections because grace says, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Welcome to the king's table. Grace is so disarming, isn't it? You can't argue with it. You cannot The story now continues, and we can just finish the story from verses 9 to 13. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to our master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both. End of story. Everything Mephibosheth had once enjoyed as a member of royalty in Saul's palace household was now restored. He was elevated from an obscure nobody in a barren wilderness to being treated like a son of the king. His handicap did not exclude him. His provisions would be abundantly cared for. All of this because of grace from the king. Once clothed in the rags of obscurity and fear, 
He is now adorned in the garments of royalty and honor. What a story. Picture with me now the supper table of the king. It's supper time. There at the head of the table, there's David himself, the king. Of course, he's wearing his royal regalia and likely a crown. He's the king. Off to his right would be Joab, his general, the general of his army. And generals are muscular. He's been out in the sun, so he's tanned, of course. And he draws all the respect that a military leader would have. Next to him is Amnon, one of the king's sons. He's intelligent. He's witty. He's also handsome. Over here on the left of David would be Tamar, one of David's daughters, a beautiful, a beautiful young lady, Tamar. Then next to her place would be where Absalom would sit. Absalom, you know, was known for that, that beautiful flowing hair. He was handsome and very striking with that beautiful flowing hair. Next to him would be Solomon's place. Solomon, he comes to the table from the, the study. He's a deep thinker, that Solomon is. Quite an impressive family. Oh, and then here comes Mephibosheth. Clomp, drag, clomp, drag, clomp, drag. He joins the family. The tablecloth covers his feet. Now the story doesn't end there. It took place 3,000 years ago, but it is still going on even today. Maybe you've already perceived that in this story we find all of the main features of our redemption, of our salvation, of the grace that has been given to us. It's a story filled with grace. David represents Jesus, and Mephibosheth represents the sinner. Think of the parallel. Mephibosheth once enjoyed fellowship with his father. Before Saul and Jonathan died, he was in the palace of the king. The king was his grandfather. And there were many times he, he sat on Grandpa Saul's knee, face to face. So it was with man in the garden. We were with our creator. There was uninterrupted face-to-face -face interaction there. But when disaster and fear came, the nurse fled, and, and Mephibosheth suffered a fall. 
and it left him crippled for the rest of his life. Even so, when temptation came, man suffered a fall and, and became a spiritual cripple, a handicapper. And, and the, his, response, his response was to go into hiding and with fear. King David, out of sheer love for Jonathan, demonstrated grace to the crippled Mephibosheth. And even so, God, out of love for the sinner, demonstrates grace to the one who believes in his son. And he's still seeking cripples today who are lost in the wilderness. David restored Mephibosheth from a place of barrenness to a place of honor. He took him from low debar, which means no pasture, to isolated, sun-baked, desolate land and put him in the palace where he could be at the king's table. And even so, God has done that for the sinner and has made room at his table for you. And he calls anyone exiled, anyone out there in the barren wastes of sin to come in and have a, have a place at the supper table of the king. Might there be someone here today who, is, who has been in low debar this year, out there in the wilderness, out there in the desolate wilderness of sin. Maybe that's where you came from. You've been, you've been there. You lived in Lodabar, but you have found in Jesus a new status, a new place, and you are now welcome at his table. If there is someone out there in Lodabar today, the king is calling. The king is calling for you. The king would have you join his family and have a place at that table. Will you come? But you say, oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm a, I'm a cripple. Uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm handicapped. Uh, I'm not worthy of the king. king doesn't even hear your excuse. He sets a place at the table for you. Might there be one who would like to come to the table today? Might there be one who says, yes, I have been in low debar. It's a hot, dusty, barren, fruitless, miserable place, and I want to be where the king will seat me. Today you're welcome. Today you can make that. You can arrive at the king's palace and know that he will receive you. That's 
grace. That's the kindness of our God toward us. And it's available to anyone who will come. Let us pray. Perhaps there's someone here today who could say, I was that Mephibosheth. Crippled in my twisted pride and hiding from you in a barren place where you could not find me, where you would not give me what I deserved. But somehow you found me, and I don't understand why, but you gave me what I do not deserve. You not only spared my desolate life, but you made it bountiful. And here at your table, I will thank you, my King. Praise God. In Jesus' name, amen.